Hi, this is Rabbi Duvi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham, located on East 9th between T and Avenue U. Thank you so much in advance for listening to the following shiur. Ladies, with the oncoming Chag of Shavuot, only a few days away, I was thinking of talking to you today about the topic of one of the most essential ingredients for the success of learning Torah. We just read in Bechukotai Telechu, one of the famous Rashi's in Chamishei Chumshei Torah. In Bechukotai Telechu, Shetihiyu Amelim Batorah. This is the job, this is the majesty, this is the crown of Torah, this is the great goal of every Jew. To be Amelim Batorah. What exactly does it mean to be Amel in something? To be Amel in Torah. We grew up with this word. They drilled this word into us in yeshiva over the years. They used the terminology to toil. I'm not clear what it means to toil. Generally, it means to work really hard, to sweat at it, to give it all you got, to roll your sleeves up and grab a shovel and start digging. That's what it means to toil. Torah wasn't meant to just be learnt in ease and comfort. Torah was meant to really work hard with everything you have. That's amelut ba Torah. To toil in learning. But today I want to touch on another look on a way we could explain that word amelut. And it goes something like this. We read that when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from Har Sinai with the Torah, Suddenly, the people noticed that his appearance was completely different. He did not look like the same Moshe that went up to get the Torah. He came down with a different appearance. He came down with what the Torah describes as a karne hod, an amazing illumination of light on his face. His face was shining, but such a shining that the people couldn't even look at his face. Looking at his face was looking at the sun. The Torah describes that he actually had to put on a, a masveh, a mask, in order to be able to shield the eyes of the people from the shine of his face. What was the point? Why was Moshe's face shining? Where did this illumination come from? What was the reason behind the shine? Now, ladies, if you were to ask me this question, and I think probably if I were to ask you this question, everyone probably would have the same answer. What do you mean? Moshe Rabbeinu was just up in Shamayim, 40 days, 40 nights. He was learning Torah. He was with the angels. Actually, he was rebuking the angels at one point. He was going back and forth. The Gemara tells us the amazing dialogue that took place between Moshe and the angels. When you're sitting, Kiviachal, and you're learning Havruta with Hashem, and you're learning the entire Torah, you're like an angel. Of course he's going to shine. It's literally an angel who fell from heaven. That's the way we would have understood Moshe coming down with the Torah. So why is his face shining? He has an angelic appearance at this point. But that's not what the Midrash says. Comes the Midrash. And the Midrash says something novel. Says the Midrash Rabbah. You know where this shine on the face of Moshe came from? I'd like to quote to you the words of the Midrash. Nishtayer bekulmus kim'ah. 
Moshe Rabbeinu in Shamayim was writing the Torah word by word with a kulmus, with an ink-feathered pen. You know, like in the old days where they had that ink-feathered pen of the scribes and they would dip it into an inkwell and there they would begin to scribe and write. Moshe Rabbeinu nishtayer bekulmus kim'ah. Moshe Rabbeinu was writing down the Torah and as he finished, he saw that there was a few drops of ink left in the pen. Says the Midrash, He'eviru al-rosho. He took those few extra drops and he dropped them on his head. Umimenu na'aselo karnehod. And from those few drops of ink, suddenly he began to shine. But such an unbelievable shine that when he came down, the people couldn't even look at him. He shined like the sun itself. Ladies, now don't try this at home. But the last time our kids were playing with pens that began to run its ink, the last thing they came out from that was shining. If anything, a few drops of ink on the head would make a person blackened. Shine? How does this result in an unbelievable shine on the face of Moshe? There must be a deeper understanding to this Midrash. And I'd like to share with this with you, because this really is a pele. This would be the last reason you would think that the face of Moshe would be shining due to a few drops of ink. And it's with that that I want to put down the bottom line today. Ladies, the most important ingredient for the success of learning Torah is not about how smart you are. It has nothing to do with your IQ. It relies only on how much you want it. It's all about the wanting. But you got to really, really want it. You got to really want it bad. And as much as you want it, and as much as you want to be a part of it, and as much as you want a piece of the glory of Torah, that's how much you're given. Torah comes through the people who thirst for Torah in an incredible way. And it's a lifelong work to develop a taste for Torah that that thirst for learning becomes unquenchable. The great Talmidei Chachamim were the people that succeeded in developing an unquenchable thirst. And they longed for it and they thirst for it day in, day out. And to them that became the object of life in every step of the way. If you're going to hear somebody come along and say to you, yeah, learning is also important. My friend, learning is not an also. Learning is it. Everything else are also's. We need to get our priorities and our hashkafot in line. When Hashem gave us that Torah, He gave us the greatest gift and the reason to live life. When He gave us Torah, He introduced to us the reason for the purpose of man and the creation of this world. You cannot make it also out of that. That is it. That, that is everything. This was the purpose of all purposes, the reason for all reasons. Everything else can be also's. 
But Torah, that was meant to be our life's passion, our longing of every Jew. And don't think for one minute that this is a speech just for men. Because our women who have carried us over the years were the reason for so many of the Talmidei Chachamim and their success and the Torah's ability to survive. It was about mothers that would not put down their levels of quality at home when it came to believing in the chinuch of Torah for their kids. It was about mothers and wives that would insist on their husbands going to Shiurim, going to Dafyomi, sacrificing so that they stay connected to Torah, that their home remains with the quality of Torah learning. It was those women in Mitzrayim that in the zechut of Nashim Tzidkaniot that we got out of Egypt, which was the mother of all redemptions. And it's not going to be any different today. Today, how much you want to be part of that majesty of Torah is how much you instill in your home, because today it's your home. Today you are the ones that have the finger on the pulse that everything that's going on in our homes, it's not the men today. Today our guys are out very early in the morning trying to make it and survive. Coming home very late at night, dead to the world. The mother is the ones that sending the kids off to schools, deciding what yeshivot our kids are going to. She is the heartbeat at home for everything that's happening. And she's also the heartbeat at home for everything that's not happening. And it is up to you today to be the driving force to stand up and appreciate what it means to have a Torah home, what it means to have a husband that is connected to Torah learning, to appreciate what it means to have children that will be budding Talmidei Chachamim, Benot Yisrael. You're the ones that are carrying the torch today. And that is the reason why I wanted to talk to you about the thirst of Torah. Because that success in learning comes through the thirst and the longing for wanting more. You know, maybe that's the reason why in Tanakh, Torah is always compared to water. We find many times in Tanakh, the Pasuk says, Ho a person who is very thirsty, let him go to the water. But we're not talking about water. We're talking about Torah learning there. The Chafetz Chaim asked, why is Torah compared to water? And he says something that is out of this world. I mean, to me, this is one of my most favorite Chafetz Chaims. So please take this in. Says the Chafetz Chaim, you want to know why Torah was compared to water? Because there's a very special halacha by water which you do not find by any other food or drink. You see, any other food or drink, regardless if you're hungry or not, regardless if you're thirsty or not, when you eat the food, you make a biracha. When you drink the drink, you make a biracha. You go and you eat that steak, you eat that apple. Doesn't matter if you're hungry or not. You ate the apple, you make a ha'etz. You drank the orange juice, it doesn't matter if you're thirsty or not. You're making a shahakol, regardless. Everything out there, food, drink, thirsty, hungry, doesn't matter. You make a biracha upon eating it, drinking it, except water. 
Water is the only thing. Like we know, the Mishnah Masech Berachot, Hashote Mayim Litzma'o. Someone who goes and drinks water out of thirst. Mevarech Shahakol Nihia Bidvaro. Only when you're drinking the water out of thirst do you make a shahakol. But if you're not drinking water out of thirst, if you're drinking the water because, say, you're taking a pill, you need to drink the water, or maybe there's something lodged in the throat, you want to wash something down, and you're drinking water simply to wash food down, you do not make a biracha shahakol. The only time you make a biracha on water is when you're drinking out of thirst. So too, Torah. The only time there's a biracha in the learning of Torah is when you're learning out of thirst. Wow. I'm telling you the first time I heard this, I was in a basement in East Sevens between you and V. And it was two o'clock in the morning. And I came across this Hafez Chaim. I jumped up and I started dancing around the table like a nutcase. Wow! But this is it! It's not about just comfort. It's not about intellectual dialogue. It's about thirsting to want to know more. I want more Torah. And that is the way Torah is given. It is given out of thirst and wanting. And the more you're thirsty and the more you want, the more biracha comes to that learning. Says the great Reb Simcha Zissel, the, the Rosh HaYeshiva of Hebron. He says, this is the pshat why Moshe Rabbeinu's face was shining. He says, you've got to understand this. Here Moshe Rabbeinu was up in Shamayim. He learned the entire Torah. He wrote down the entire Torah. Moshe Rabbeinu, <laughs> he learned everything, he even wrote it down. And then suddenly, Moshe sees that there's still another two drops of ink left in the pen. Says Moshe, there's still two drops? I want more. I still want more. Wow. Says Borei Olam, look at this. <laughs> Moshe Rabbeinu, you learned the whole Torah. You even wrote down the whole Torah. And you still are thirsty for more? You still want those last two drops? Yeah. Moshe Rabbeinu, I need those last. I need more. And he dropped those two drops on his head. That unquenchable thirst that he demonstrated for wanting more and more learning, no matter what levels he hit, that gave him the shine, that he shined like the sun. That's why when he came down, he shined the way he did, because of the unquenchable thirst for more and more Torah. Ay, Torah hi, tzarich. This is the mandate. This is the call. And it all comes down to the wanting. How much do we want to be a part of it? How much do we want it? How much do we want the majesty of it? We want our kids to walk around with the crowns of Torah on their heads. We want our husbands to be connected to Torah so that they'll be better husbands, so that they'll be better fathers, so that they'll be loyal husbands. So that they'll be there in a way that Torah refines a person's midot like nothing else in the world. It keeps us good. Every time we start straying away from the path, it brings us back 
to where we're supposed to be. This to me is something amazing. We stood there by Har Sinai and we cried out, And it was at that moment that Hashem gave us the greatest gift in the world, our Torah, the great Torah Hagdosha. Do you know what was given on that mountain? What was given on that mountain made us who we are today. We're a chosen people because we were the ones that got Torah. We were chosen. Why? Do you know what was given to us on that mountain? The great Torah. There were no other books given on that mountain outside of Torah. And because of that, we have to remember and realize it's important for our kids to get a good education. It's important for our kids to be able to get an education that will forward their lives and their careers to one day make a parnasa. But make no mistake, those books were not given on this mountain. This mountain only gave us the Torah to remind us that the chinuch and the gifts of what every mother and father would dream and long and thirst for their children to become great in was a Torah education first and everything else can be an also. That's the way it was meant to be. Explains the great Minchat Chinuch that this is where the mitzvah of Sfirat Omer really comes from. You know, we've been counting for the last 40 some odd days. Matter of fact, today happens to be the 44th day. We're really close. Amazing. What's with the counting? Says the Minchat Chinuch. The counting to Shavuot is unique. We don't count to Pesach. We don't count to Sukkot. But the only Chag that we count to is Shabbat, because the countdown shows the thirst. It shows we're longing and we're wanting and we can't wait to get back to the mountain. We cannot wait for Kabbalat Torah. Says the Minchat Chinuch, do you know why this and only this Chag we count to? Because part of Kabbalat Torah is the counting, the longing and the thirst. If you want the Kabbalat Torah, you got to long for it. But if there was no thirsting, and if there was no longing and counting down, there's no Kabbalat Torah. And that's why Pesach, you could wake up that morning and say, oh gee, today's Pesach, and go into the Chag. Sukkot, you can do the same. But Shavuot, it's not going to work. Shavuot, you had to long and wait, and want, and thirst upon its coming through a countdown in order to come and get a Kabbalat Torah on Shavuot. Because without that longing, there's no Kabbalah. You can't wake up the morning too. So we have a few days. We still have a few days to long and wait and anticipate. Torah's coming. Hashem's coming down again this year on Har Sinai. He's going to give us again a Torah. I'm going to get an unbelievable treasure for me, for my family, for my children. This is going to be the blessing of everything. 
When we long for it, we receive it. That's the secret of these days, the days of counting. It's all about the longing so that we can really get a Kabbalat Torah. And it's amazing. You know who already said this? David HaMelech. David HaMelech writes in Tehillim, Tzama nafshi lelokim. My soul is thirsting for you, Hashem. Lekel chai. Matai avo ve'erae pne elokim. Tzama nafshi lelokim. My soul is thirsting for what? Lekel chai. What does that mean? Kel has the numerical value, gematria 31. Chai, we all know, numerical value, gematria 18. 31 plus 18 is 49. These are the 49 days of counting. What's the essence of these 49 days? Kel chai, tzama nafshi leloki. These are days of thirsting, anticipating and waiting. For what? Matai avo ve'era'e pene elokim. When will I finally get back to Har Sinai, the moment of Torah, where I could see your face again, Hashem? That was the first place that we met and we saw Hashem. Har Sinai. And there Hashem spoke to us for the first time. I'm longing in these days. Because without that longing and thirst, there is no Kabbalat Torah. Shavuot will be a Chag, don't get me wrong. And it will be a happy holiday, and it will be really nice. And everyone will walk around with beautiful clothes, and will eat the dairy on the second day of the holiday, and everyone's going to be great. Holidays it might be, but there's no Kabbalat HaTorah without the longing and the thirst prior to the Chag. This is the secret. This is the secret the way men become great in learning. This is the secret, the way our women are zocheh to a family of Talmideh Chachamim. And ladies, regardless of anything you've heard, the greatest gift a mother can have is a son, a Talmid Chacham. Besides the respect, besides the honor, the majesty and the glory that your son is a king, who walks around with a crown of Torah. But besides that, what a son, what nahat, what happiness that son brings to family. That son <laughs> is not the son that's talking back to the parents. That son is not the son who you can never find him at the time you need him. That son is not the son that abandons parents in their older age when it's time for parents to leave on children. No, that's not the son. This is the son that was refined so well with such yirat shamayim that every waking moment you begin to see new heights of kibbut avaim and of a, of a respect and a yirah for parents that sometimes you seldomly find in children. That's the Torah in there. That's the Torah that beautifies these kids, that later on grows up to be the, 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 the spark of every family. What a gift to have even one, two, three, to have a bat Yisrael that's going to marry Talmid Chacham. These are gems. These are gems. Now you might think for a minute, from what you see out in the streets sometimes, that not everybody out there might have this theology. 
Not everybody out there might look at it this way. Just the opposite. Sometimes you might run into people out there that will make fun of Talmidei Chachami. Matter of fact, I could tell you about many stories of parents that many times I sit by the table pleading with them, asking them, please, your son, he's going to work for the rest of his life. Let him go one year to Eretz Yisrael. What's the rush? Your family, you, you guys don't need the money. It's not like he's working to put food on your table. Give him that six months to be able to leave and detox and go to Eretz Yisrael and Eretz HaKadoshah. Give him an opportunity that he'll never get again in his life. He's going to taste something there that we just don't have here in America to offer him. We don't. There's a Kiddushah there. There's a purity there. There's a learning there that we cannot mimic. And the proof is in the pudding. Look at the guys that come back. You want to talk about the face of Moshe shining? Did you ever see the face of these guys? When they come back after a year of real learning in a real yeshiva, they come back looking like somebody else. They have such a shine to them. Suddenly they matured so quickly. They have such unbelievable refined midot. They walk into shul. I, I love it. Every time I see this, they work in, walk into the shul that first Shabbat after coming back six, eight months, a year from Eretz Yisrael. Everybody turns around. Who is that? They say, oh my gosh. That's what's his name. Look at him. He looks totally different. He looks like a mensch. He looks put together. You could see that now he has his head on his shoulders. He's a little bit more focused. He's a little bit more serious about life. He's not a joker anymore. He's put together. Wow, look what Torah did for this guy. I love when I see that. And I sit by many tables with parents begging them, please, just, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Six months. Let him go. Give him the opportunity. His friends are going. Don't make him be the one man out. Don't make him feel like one day he might ask himself, what if? What if I would have went? Would I have found something special there that could have enhanced my life to make me a happier person, a more put together person, a more shalem and complete person? You want to send them to college? Wonderful. They pick up 30, 40, 50 credits in that six months in Israel. You want him to go to work? Wonderful. He has a job waiting for him when he comes back in six months. What's the rush? And then I just don't get it. I, I, I can't put my finger on the pulse of the, of the reluctancy of the parents until finally the truth comes out. Oh, and then it hits me like a ton of bricks. Rabbi, okay. Husband looks at wife, wife looks at husband. They bite their lips for a minute. They look at me and they say it. All right, it's not about the money. It's not about the college, you're right. You're right. So we're gonna tell you what it's about. We don't want him becoming too religious. I said, oh, at least now. The cat was taken out of the bag. At least now we can talk. Till now it was all a charade. We're scared, Rabbi, he's gonna to become too religious. They think that in Israel, the yeshivot have, I don't know if you remember in the olden days, the ladies used to go and put their head in these machines 
and, and they used to blow the curls of the old, older ladies. I don't know, what do they call those machines? The hair drying machines. People think that Israel Yeshivot have a bunch of these hair drying machines that they put this uh, half of a bowl over the head of these guys and they, bzz, and they zap their hazit, they zap, and they come back like, like hair care, like zombies. You're too scared of what? Of Torah? You're scared of what? That he's going to come back a ben Torah. Once upon a time, this was the dream of every Jewish mother and father. Once upon a time, they used to send their kids to the other side of the world just for the opportunity that they could have one child that could be a Torah giant. And they wouldn't see them for years. And they would live on nothing. I don't know, maybe, maybe that's my problem. Maybe because of where I come from, it's a little bit difficult for me to see always the other side. And I'm very objective and open-minded. My father, at the age of 13 years old, was put on a boat, 13, and sent to the United States to the Murray Yeshiva by my grandmother, Alea Shalom, just to go with Rabbi Kalmanovich and a group of Moroccan boys to the Murray Yeshiva at 13 years old. They didn't see them for over 15 years. Just so that they could have one Talmid Chacham. Because that was the honor that I have a Torah giant in my family. I have a rabbi in my family. Yes, they sent some of the kids to university and they sent them, but at least let me have Torah in my home. That was the blessing. And when I listen sometimes, the worry of parents, he might become too religious. I'd like to define the religious mode that they become. And then ladies, you make the call and you tell me if that's something to be worried about or is that something to grab with two hands. Listen to this. I know right now that the first phase of our night Seder was a tremendous success. But not because of the way people sometimes measure success. Many times people measure success by numbers. How many people do you have in your program? That's the first thing that many people ask. How many guys? So Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, we have 70, 80 guys coming every single night and learning up a storm from eight to 10. And maybe their friends are going other places, but these guys are strong. They really committed themselves. They come every single night to learn. And then again in the morning at 6 a.m. I mean, these guys are unbelievable. But that's not, to me, the ticker of success. To me, what I know that this program is a success is because of Dubai. Dubai, Rabbi, what does Dubai have to do with the Night Seder program? I want to tell you, a few weeks ago, one of the boys in the program, a 20-year-old single boy, he walked up to me and he said to me, Rabbi, I'm going now on my first business trip with my father. We're going out to Dubai. He says, now I heard there are a lot of stuff that go on out there at night. And there's a lot of issues that maybe a guy learning wouldn't and shouldn't be exposed to. I'm worried. You have any ideas for me? You see, because Rabbi, I know that once I get there, and once I'm in the middle of it, 
And there's going to be a lot of other people there from our group that are going to be going out at night and doing all different types of things. And I know I might be pulled to it. What do I do? I can't avoid the trip. I'm working with my father, but what do I do? So I told him two things. I said, number one, take your Gemara with you. Number two, when you're there, can you pick me up a souvenir? He said, what? I said, pick me up a souvenir when you're there. He says, oh, I remember now. I remember that story you told me years ago. You told me that story about the Gera Rebbe, that he had a student, a Hasid, that was going out to the World Fair. And he was going out for a few weeks. The World Fair in those years was like the biggest event in Europe. And this Hasid was going out to the World Fair, and as you understand, when you go out there with the Goyim in such a grand audience and stage, with it comes all different types of tests. This Hasid came to the Gera Rebbe, and he says, Rebbe, I'm going out to the World Fair to do business. Can you give me a biracha? And the Rebbe says, yes, I'll give you a biracha. But I would like you to bring me back a cigar. The Hasid looks at the Rebbe. A cigar? I didn't even know the Rebbe smokes. The Rebbe smiles. He says, please, get me a good cigar. Rebbe, for you, I'm going to get you the best cigar I can get. And you know, in the world's fear, they have everything. So I'm going to get, it's like the China of today. I'm going to get you the best cigar. The Hasid leaves. He goes out to the world fair. He's there for a few weeks. Now, you know how things go. Once you're in it, and there is that rush, and the unbelievable uh, running fun that goes on in these things, from place to place, and appointment to appointment, and people to people. And he totally and absolutely forgot the cigar. At the end of his trip, it's the last day, he's packing his bags, he's getting onto the train, he's coming back to his hometown, and it hits him as he gets into the train. Oh, I forgot the Rebbe's cigar. He comes back all the way back to town, and he's cigarless. What's he going to do? He can't show his face. The Rebbe asked him one thing. He comes into town. He finds some cigar store. He buys a cigar. He wraps it. He writes on it, World Fair, and he wrote the, 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 the year, that year, as if Ke'ilu, it came from there. And he comes into the Rebbe with a big smile. Rebbe, I have your cigar. The Rebbe looks at the cigar, looks back up at the guy's face, and he says, no, this cigar is not from the World Fair. He says, Rebbe, how did you know? The guy Rebbe looks at the guy and says, do you think I smoke? He says, no. He says, you're right, I don't smoke. So why do you think I asked you to bring me back a cigar? He says, I don't know, Rebbe. I asked you so that when you go out there to the World Fair, if you remember to bring back the cigar, you'll be thinking about your Rebbe. And as long as you're thinking about your Rebbe, you'll come back the same guy that left. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I told this guy, I don't need a cigar. <laughs> you can bring me back a postcard or anything else for that matter. One of those little uh, snowballs, you know, that's, a, well, it doesn't snow in Dubai. But, you know, one of these, a little something. But you bring me back something. And he says, you got it. And that was it. 
The next day, the guy left. I haven't seen him. I didn't see him then for over a week and a half, whatever it was. One night, I come walking into the night seder. And one of the rebbies on our staff, he comes running up to me. He says to me, Rabbi, you got to hear this. You're not, you not going to believe who called me today. I said, okay, who called you? He says, you know so-and-so? I said, yeah. He called me this afternoon from Dubai. I said, wow, so what did he say? He says, listen, he says, he told me that every night when everybody went out to all different types of Isurim and places that were horrible, the way he described, and over there it was literally open for the taking. It made Vegas look small from what he was describing. He says, while everybody went out to the open Isurim and the Zenun, he sat in his room with his Gemara and was making up the Gemarot that he was missing from the night Seder Chabura. And he says he got stuck on a few lines. So he says, he called me up today to ask me, could you explain to me these few lines? I was trying to keep up the system. I was trying to keep up the Gemarot with you. And I got stuck on these few lines. And the Rebbe says to me, I sat with him on the phone and I explained to him for over half an hour all the Gemara to bring him up to date. And he thanked me. And he told me he's going to continue reviewing the Gemara for the next few nights until he comes back. Ladies, honest. Your husband goes to Dubai. Who do you want him to be? I know, Fat Bilhead. Go ahead, make fun, no problem. Joke, put them down. Ha ha, your kid going to Israel. He's wasting his time. Yeah. Who do you want your kid to be? You want your kid to be that kid in the room that's reviewing the Gemarot with an unbelievable class and worth and stature and self-worth and purpose for something bigger. Or do you want that kid of yours to be the kid that went out that night with everybody else? And if I'm going to ask you this question, I want to ask it to you much better. Do you want your husband to be the guy that sat in the room reviewing the Gemarot that night? Or do you want your husband to be with the other husbands that went out that night to every Isur Ba'olam on their business trip? You still want to make fun of the Bnei Torah? You still want to make fun of the guys that go learn in Israel? You still want to make fun of the people that are putting into our guys and young ladies a worth, a purpose, a beauty, a shine. They're shining the shine of Moshe Rabbeinu because they have a thirst that they want more. And they're enjoying it and they're loving it. What are you scared of? You don't want your kid to become that? Is that what you meant when you told me you don't want your kid to become too religious? That kid's a gem. Everybody should have a kid like that. We all should be zochet to kids like that. I would love my daughter to be married to a guy like that, a loyal husband. Is that what we're trying to say we don't want from? Because that's what it means for your sons and your daughters to be connected to Torah. That's what it means for your husbands to be 
connected to a Rebbe and Torah. It keeps them to who they're supposed to be. Is this what you're nervous about? We should be embracing this. Ah, and if we're not going to turn to you ladies, who are we turning to today? Who's left to turn to? You're the ones that are running the homes. You're making the decisions on what shishivot they're going to. You're making the decisions if they're going to go learn in Eretz Yisrael. You're making the decisions if your husbands are going out to learn or not. A little sacrifice will get you a pound of glory. The glory of Torah itself. We need you now. As we needed you on the way out of Egypt, we need you to get out of this galut. And it's only through your sacrifice for Torah that we could begin to shine. There was a great Rosh HaYeshiva that drove up to a gas station and the Rebetzin was in the car with him. A Jewish guy comes out, takes off the pump and starts filling up the car with gas. It was in Bnei Brak. It was a religious guy that owned the gas station. So he's filling up their car with gas. And suddenly, the Rebbitson looks back and she recognizes the guy that's pumping the gas. She turns to her husband, the Rosh Yeshiva, and she says to him, Oh my gosh, I don't believe it. You see this guy here that's pumping the gas? I dated him. I went out with him very seriously. I almost married him. She says, wow, I can't believe it. Look at that. If I would have married him, I would have been not the wife of a Rosh HaYeshiva. I would have been the wife of a guy that pumps gas by gas stations. The Rosh HaYeshiva looks at the Rebetzin and says, my wonderful wife, you have it all wrong. If you would have married that guy, he would not be pumping gas at gas stations. He would have been a Rosh HaYeshiva. And me, your husband, I would have been the guy out there pumping the gas at the gas station. That's the weight you carry today. That's the majesty that's lying in your hands of our husbands and our kids. It's time to make Torah's chinuch primary. Everything else is an also. It's time to make sure that our guys are going to Shiurim. It's time to make sure that our girls that are dating can appreciate a husband that's a Ben Torah. So he'll take care of her. What mother doesn't want a guy that's going to take care of her daughter? Not that he's going to run off God knows where for weeks at a time. But someone that's loyal. Someone that's good. Someone that has midot. Someone that has hirat shamayim. I don't know about you, but that's what I want for my daughter. I want someone that I can sleep at night knowing he has the midot and hirat shamayim to take care of a wife the way a wife was meant to be taken care of. It's amazing how we have things backwards today. There's no money in the world that can buy a good marriage. Please hear this. There's, again, there is no money in the world that can buy a good marriage. It's good people with real Yerat Shamayim, with real Midot, and with a Torah running in their veins that make good marriages. Ay, that's what we're asking for. 
We're asking for to put back the love and the thirst into our guys. To put back the love and the thirst into the husbands. To bring back the love and the appreciation for Torah and its scholars in our homes. And that's the thirst and that's the love that brings us up now to Shabuot. Through that, we could be Mikabel Torah like never before. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. This is Rabbi Dovi Ben Shushan from Congregation Magen Abraham. Please tune in every week on Thursdays at 6 p.m. Have a great week. Shabbat Tov.